Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast. I am so excited about our guest today, you guys. We're chatting with Jill Reagan, and she is such a soul sister. She's really run the gamut of going from like living in the city and asking a farmer to borrow a tractor to till her first garden. Didn't grow up gardening in her family, but became a market gardener, cut flower gardener, just wrote an insanely incredible book. I'm so excited about that you guys can actually get now, but she's all about efficiency and maximizing yield in the garden, even if it's super tiny space you're working in. But also her heart, you guys, her heart and soul is so incredible. She's really inspiring. She tells this incredible story about her grandparents. I just want to bottle her up. You're going to love this. I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Jill. Let's jump in. Hello, beautiful Miss Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much for joining me today in my closet. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so excited to sit down and be able to talk to you. Well, I was reflecting on our first chat, just like, you know, normal cell phone chat. And it was so refreshing to get to know you better because I feel like your journey has been super cool and inspirational. And I've loved watching you evolve in the gardening and sort of farming space, going from like market gardener to what you're doing now. Um, And so... I'm just super excited about everything you have going on. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wild. Um, Like you mentioned, I'm sure we'll probably dive into a bit later. We have definitely shifted the structure of our farm and how we operate and what we do. And so that's been a learning curve for sure on so many aspects. Um, But it's been fun. It's been so much fun just to kind of get to know a whole new audience and really just encourage people to get back into the garden and grow food. So I want to actually start a little bit at the beginning and ask, um, what was your upbringing like? Were you raised gardening or farming or anything like that? Or is this something you came to as an adult? Yeah, so I have got vivid memories of my papa's garden. I actually dedicated my book to him because now as an adult, I didn't realize how much of an influence he had on me. Um, But he had this massive garden and every summer, you know, me and my brother, we'd have to go over there and weed and he'd make jelly. And, you know, I was in the kitchen with my memo canning and I hated it at the time, right? Because anytime you went to memo and papals, you had to go to work out in the garden. Um, And so my brother and I would make funny games out of it. But now it's like, whoa, I think that that really established my love for gardening And I've had so many conversations with him, you know, and when he was a kid, you had to garden or you didn't have food. But my parents never had a garden, um, really never did anything gardening related, you know, just from back when childhood, you know, I have those vivid memories from childhood. But then as a teenager and things like that, but I went to school for agriculture and was required to take a plant science class and had to do all these different presentations on 
vegetable farmers. And that really just ignited something in me. I had, I come from a cattle background, like that's, I worked on a cattle farm in high school and college. And so I was used to that side. Like we have a lot of row crop farmers Mm -hmm. here. And I was like, what? You can farm vegetables and like make money off of this? This can be a career? And then it's just kind of been, you know, I've been down this road ever since then. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wait, is there something about your grandparents though? I want to go back to that because I've been thinking about this a lot. I would say every single person that I've interviewed has some connection to nature from their childhood. And it's, it's not always like their family, but is there something, and I'm the same, um, is there something about your grandparents as human beings, as people that you think created a sense of influence for you? Because obviously the, what you, like you said, you were, I was the same way as a kid. I was like, ugh, I didn't want to like do work or my parents would want me to go on hikes. And I was like, ugh. And now I'm like, everyone want to go on a hike. But, um, is there something about like their character, who they are that you think created so much influence? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my papa was a pastor, right. And just a good, wholesome, like you do good by people, you do good by your family, you work with your hands in the soil, you know, like he, every year would bring everyone in the family enough grape jelly to last us a year. So he had grapes, he had blueberries, like the whole thing. And he really instilled in us like, if you want to be a good human, right, then you you put your hands in the soil, you treat people good, you, you love on them well. And I do think that that established for me, like the way I show love is by giving and doing. And it's like, I want to send you home with produce. I want to make you fermented goods. I want to come and invite you into my home and cook you a good, wholesome meal with some fresh sourdough. Like, that's how I love people. And I realize now that that's totally rooted from how I grew up with my grandparents, you know, making me jellies and making me a home cooked meal or hot cocoa at Christmas time. And they just rooted so much of that in me and instilled in me this is how you, this is how you're a good person, you know? And like, this is how you're yeah. wholesome. This is how we love each other and love community well. And I remember, you know, there would always be people at my grandparents' house. They were giving away their bounty, you know, what they weren't putting up. And I do think that it just instilled so much in me of how I wanted to model my life and really just the characteristics of how I wanted to be, you know, as an adult. I love that. I think there's so much, there's so much in that. I was taking notes because... I think the garden represents so much when it comes to hope and generosity. Most people don't start gardening because they're like, I'd like to be more hopeful. I'm going to plant a seed. That's not really like the goal at the beginning, but it ends up being a byproduct. And I think that is part of what makes, I believe like all humans, if they started gardening and farming would like make the world a better place. Um, Anyways, I love that so much. Okay. So you went to school for this. You kind of had this revelation about growing vegetables. Is that when you jumped into becoming like a market gardener? So truthfully, at that point, I never finished my agriculture degree, ended up dropping out. So there's just some real life there. Um, but I lived, <laughs> I lived in a really crappy house in the middle of the city. And I was working on that farm at the time. And so I borrowed their old David Brown tractor and I tilled up my backyard and I just like went wild. Okay. And I I knew nothing. I mean, I joke about it in my book, but like I grew so many things that just like rotted on my countertop because I, I, I didn't even enjoy what I was growing. I was just so ambitious to like plant the seed. And so 
I started dabbling and I did that for several years while still working on that cattle farm. And then eventually, you know, started really getting in touch with the farmer's market. I was shopping at the farmer's market weekly. At this point, I have, you know, gotten married. My husband and I bought a little log cabin with a little bit of land. Then I planted my first row garden. And that's when I started. I was still working full time at, at that point. And so I was doing a lot of research and I was reading every book. I was listening to every market, you know, gardener who would give me the time of day. I was searching the internet like a mad woman trying to figure out how do I do this to quit my job to where I can just do this full time. And so it looked like, you know, working three 12 hour shifts while still, you know, growing food and just selling to friends and neighbors. I ended up creating a loose idea of a CSA for our gym that we went to. And I would bring produce there every single week and they would buy what I have. But still, I would not have called myself a market gardener at all. I was just kind of getting my feet wet and figuring out uh, what that looked like. And then through the years, we ended up moving to a bit more property. I started gaining some wholesale accounts with restaurants um, in our area. And that's when I really started scaling. We were primarily growing food for our gym through a subscription box that we did. I had three restaurants I was selling to and then a local uh, farm stand that was buying from local farmers and then reselling it. It's like a, a grocery store that they had started. And so I kind of just like, as I learned more, I grew and expanded my markets and my knowledge on how I could sell food and what that really looked like for me and my family. It's crazy because you've really experimented then with like multiple business models within the industry. And I think it's, I mean, I tell people this all the time, like gardening just for your own family is so much work, but gardening to create enough of an abundance to sell is insane. Like it's so much work, but on top of having to understand and cultivate the crops, you also have to understand and cultivate a business as an entrepreneur. And that is double duty. That's crazy. And there's risk involved, right? So some of the chefs, it was just a good handshake and they'd say, Hey, will you grow this variety for me and I'll buy all you have? And some of them were were good for that, right? Like that honest handshake meant something to them. But for some of them, they would ask me to grow a particular thing. I'd buy the seed. I'd, you know, cultivate the soil. I'd do all the things necessary. And when I got ready to sell, they're like, oh, we don't actually need that this week. Or, you know, the next week, oh, we don't actually need this. And it's like, okay, well, you were the only market I was selling this for. And so, Since then, I learned to put loose contracts in place, right? Like if I'm growing this specific thing for you, there are things that you need to do to ensure that I can get rid of this crop and you pretty much have to buy it, right? And so I kind of learned that, you know, that good, honest handshake is great, but it's not a good business model because if I'm going to quit my (laughs) I'm going to do this, you know, for income that my family is dependent on, you have to be business minded. You, it, It's not about friendship at that point. It is just about business and like having a professional working relationship with someone. And so we had to really just kind of shift our structures. And ultimately, you know, why we ended up shifting out of market gardening, and I'm sure we might talk about this in a bit, was because it is a lot. And we had hired a farm yeah. consultant to help me figure out how to scale. We were going to line our entire property with high tunnels. I was going to have to hire at least three people to help me manage those to scale to the point, you know, to reach that dollar amount I needed to bring in a year. 
And we knew we were going to have to go in debt to do that and a significant amount of debt, which we had modeled our business up until this point being debt free. Um, and that was something that mm-hmm. we had a lot of value in is we did not want to go into debt to be successful at this. And so we had to really just kind of go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, is it worth us going into debt on this thing and it being super labor intensive, really draining, or is there another way to do this? So at that point then, because yeah, I was going to ask like, so what the transition was like going from sort of market gardener to what you're doing now, what was that big leap like for you? Because now I guess you're, you're full-time would you consider yourself like a content creator or how would you describe kind of yeah. that leap and then where you are now? Yeah. So it's really funny. The The leap, uh, truthfully, was devastating. I mean, I was heartbroken. I had yeah. dreamed and worked for years to be a market farmer. Like I wanted to be known in my community for that. We lack a lot of female yeah. farmers in the area. And so for me, I felt like my dream had been ripped out from underneath me. And that was, Ugh, I so get that. It was so hard. Um, at that point though, my husband was still, you know, working out, like he had another job outside of the farm. He did not want to cultivate bills all day. Like that was not his passion. He was super supportive, but like, he's like, I don't want to work, you know, 17 hour days out here in the heat. Like that's not where my passion lies. And so It was hard. And at that point, we had friends who did YouTube and were very successful. And they were continuously telling us, you need to do this. You need to do this. There's value here. And I wasn't really on board. I mean, I had social media and I posted to it. But this idea of just kind of putting yourself out there to be rejected, which is essentially what happened. I spent years and years putting myself out there to have people tell me no after no after no. I mean, that mentally becomes very draining. But, you know, we had good friends who were super encouraging. And so we did it. We, we started YouTube and we're like, all right, let's teach people how to grow food. Like I know all the fundamentals, how to grow food and sell food. Let's teach people how to do it. And so we did. Um, It was hard. (laughs) It still is hard. Being a content creator is no joke. I know some people think I must be nice just to you know, work for yourself and do what you want to do. But to be successful, you have to treat it like a job. And so, you know, being a a content creator is great, but my heart is still rooted in local food and local agriculture. And so now, you know, I'm seven years into this journey. I'm finding myself doing more things that maybe don't make sense on paper, but they bring me a lot of joy. So for the first time this year, we are bringing back a CSA, a salad share CSA, which I've not done in years. Oh, fun. And when you look at the dollars, it doesn't make sense because I I bring in more income teaching people, but it's something that Mm -hmm. it really just, it brings me joy, right? And it really... Mm -hmm. It's me stewarding myself as a gardener and knowing what's going to bring me joy to where I can keep putting myself out there in other ways. So, I mean, a lot of what we do is online content and education. I sell cut flowers to market. Um, so that is a way that we're really involved and my hands are still in the soil. We're bringing on the salad share CSA for you know community members, which is fun. We have our online store. I just wrote my book. And so we're very diverse in what we do 
to where I don't just feel stagnant being behind a camera or being behind a phone teaching people. You know, I'm actually just, my job's kind of all over the place. And I like that. It keeps things new uh, and exciting. That's awesome. Okay. So tell me about this book. I can't wait to read it. It's like in the mail and I'm so excited about it. Um, But tell us a little bit about it. It's such a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. So it is The Tiny But Mighty Farm. Gosh, this book was like a baby. Okay. I literally felt like it was carrying a child, giving birth. There were so many wild emotions. And as a kid, like I am a book nerd that I love it. I mean, I absolutely have books upon books upon books. And I'd always had this dream of writing a book, but I didn't really know like what I would write a book about. And honestly, at the point in my life where I had this dream of writing a book, I had a dream, but I didn't know how to believe in myself enough to see that dream come to pass. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, this would be a cool thing. But I wasn't like, you know what? No, like we're going to manifest this. I'm going to believe for this. And like, I'm going to see this come to pass. And so it's just kind of this loose thing. Um, I had a few friends that wrote books and I really felt like I was just being called to support them well in that and just rally around them. And at that point, I really started feeling kind of this shift in my spirit of like, hey, I'm asking you to do these things because I'm going to give this to you one day. And so it was like all in, right? Like I was supporting my friends with like everything I had, you know, while they were writing their books and just, you know, kind of putting them into the world. And oddly enough, I was taking a shower one day and the title of my book came to me and I like get out of the shower soaking wet. I run to my husband in the living room and I'm like, I have the title of my book. And like, God told me I'm going to write this book. And my husband like looks up from his phone and he was like, okay, honey. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm serious. And so I grab my notebook and my journal and I start writing down like everything that I felt like God had told me in the shower. <laughs> and I didn't think anything else of it. And I literally in my journal, it says for the one day. And then I had everything else. Listed. Like I didn't think it was going to happen then, but I knew that that was a glimpse of hope of like, Hey, I, I see you like believing for this and like, I'm going to give this to you one day. And it was probably, I love that. Oh, it, it was a rush of emotion because then I got excited knowing that like, okay, this is a dream I really need to like steward and cultivate a little bit more. And it was a year later, I heard from a publishing company uh, asking to interview me about pitching a book. And I was just like, what? Um, and so it was crazy. And then here we've been on this wild journey for the last year. I've been writing my book, doing edits. We transition farms in the process of writing the book. It has been such a labor of love, but it's so much in my heart. It's geared towards the small scale grower, right? And just placing value on that, but showing the backyard gardener how to use efficient market garden techniques, growing, you know, like varieties. Mm-hmm can yield a lot. And so I think there's a sweet spot there to where if you don't want to grow food, but you just want to grow food efficiently, like you don't want to grow food to sell or to market, but how do you grow at scale in your backyard? And so that was kind of the tiny but mighty farm. It's like, you don't need a lot of space. You just need really good systems. And so we just kind of deep dive into that throughout the book. That is what I'm most excited about because that's me. I'm, I have no desire to sell what I grow, but I want to grow efficiently so that I can try and grow as much of what we consume as possible. 
And I have 10 raised beds, which it's a lot for like a hobby gardener, but it's not a lot for someone that wants to replace a grocery store. So um, I'm super excited because I'm definitely your target audience from that perspective. And also just because I adore you and I'm just so excited to like dig into the details. But okay. So when you're talking tiny, this is what my question was too. And I know you said you kind of switched farms or, you, you know, you got a new location in the process of everything. How big is the space that you're cultivating, I guess, day to day? Yeah, so we live on 4.3 acres, but it is, gosh, I maybe, probably not even, a half an acre, an acre of production. We have it really kind of spaced out because we live on a ridge. So my husband jokes that we grow rocks. So we have 4.3 acres, but... (laughs) Yeah, hardly any of that is actual like land that I can cultivate and grow in. Um, And so we have our high tunnel that we crank out a ton of production in. We have a raised bed garden and then we have a few plots of in-ground space where we do our cut flower production. Um, But it's not even Mm. an acre of growing space and it's all kind of set up in different ways. You know, we have raised beds even in our high tunnel, because the soil is so poor that that was the only way we could grow in there was to put uh, raised beds. And so, and that was put on our property before and we're friends with the people we bought our farm from. And so, you know, we kind of got an up close look at like why they did things and we understood why they did those, but I don't, I'm not growing in a ton of space at all. Uh, My thing is I'm just choosing the right varieties and I'm putting in the right systems as far as like, trellising techniques, but I would say varieties are definitely what's going to, you know, make or break the success of your farm if you're wanting to grow high yields. I mean, that's incredible. I saw you post on Instagram about your seed order. I just put mine in too. And honestly, yield wasn't really something that I prioritized until I got a little bit more like advanced in my gardening journey. Cause I guess I just, I, I didn't realize as a, a beginning gardener, that that was a thing, like the different varieties would produce different amounts of veg, right? When you're just like, when you didn't go to school for it and you're just getting started, you're like, all cucumbers are going to give you approximately this many cucumbers. And it is hard because the knowledge out there, like in my gardening membership in the Kitchen Garden Society, we just did a lesson on like how much to grow for the size of your family. And it is variety specific. I mean, it's it's nuanced. All of it is, which is why like... (laughs) having a passion for it helps, but, um, that's so interesting and so helpful because that's such vital information that people aren't talking about. Well, and also too, I mean, variety plays a massive role, but then succession sowing, you know, so we grow hybrid cucumbers and we are succession sowing those from spring until, you know, fall. And so literally from spring until winter, we are harvesting cucumbers and a large amount every single week versus if I just planted it one time. And then when the plant died, I was done. And so you have to think ahead. You have to be super organized with it, but I know, okay, this is about how long, you know, the life of this plant's going to be. So I have more seeds started in the greenhouse. And before I rip that first rant out, I'm already planting the second. So as soon as I am ripping one out, I already have my you know second round producing. So I'm never lacking in, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, et cetera, because they're all on this succession to where I'm constantly having food to harvest. That's incredible. Okay, real quick. I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. 
It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. You hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at thekitchengardensociety.com and check it out. So, okay, that brings me to my next question, which is, so first of all, what hardiness zone are you in? Because I want to get an understanding for the landscape of how you grow. So like, what's your hardiness zone? What are you doing in the garden right now? I think there's this misunderstanding when it comes to like the spring slash summer garden as like the season of gardening, but there's really so much more than that, especially if you are, I mean, you start everything from seed. So like, it's just give me the, give me the run now, girlfriend. Yeah. All right. So I'm in zone 7B, um, which we have a great zone. And we're able to grow a lot. I grow year round and we do a massive emphasis on the fall and winter garden because I have a high tunnel. Um, And so I'm able to grow more. It's a nice season, you know, extender for me and for any of your, you know, listeners who may be listening to this, you don't have to go all in and have a high tunnel. I mean, you can do row covers and you can have, you know, cold frames. Like there's a lot of different ways, depending on where you live at different scales options, which I actually do talk about that a lot in my book on like, here are different options at different prices. This is what might be, you know, good for you. Um, and so right now we've got radish, we've got carrots, we've got spinach, we have all of our brassicas, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi. I mean, you name it, we have it. Um, and we grow, yeah, year round. There's not a single month of the year that we're not growing and harvesting food. And so that feels, you know, really, really good. And it is kind of just like reshifting people's mindset, you know, growing food in the spring and the summertime, de- depending on too, you know, like what if you're older? And getting outside in the, you know, dead of the summer is really challenging for you. Grow in the fall, you know, like there, it's also just allowing people to know that it's not just like this. How do they, how do you think we did it? You know, they did it before us. They weren't just only growing food a certain time of year. And then magically they had food the other times of the year. Like this is something that's been practiced from generations and generations before us. And and for me, if you're looking at this from a sustainability standpoint, it's not really sustainable to only try to grow food one time a year. And especially depending on your goals, right? If you want to reduce your family's budget, yeah, it's great that you're offsetting that you know, a couple seasons of the year, but what about the other ones? Are you spending a boatload of money on organic food? And there's so many different ways you can do it. You can grow it in containers. That way, if it gets super cold, you can bring it in your garage or maybe in your house during the super cold, you know, months, or you can, I think row cover is a really great option. Just put them over your raised beds. Or if you're growing in ground, a couple layers of those Granted, I know some zones, it gets ridiculously cold and that is harder to achieve. But if you had electricity, you could run a heater, you know, out in your greenhouse um, that could kind of help with some of that stuff. But for us, we're just super fortunate that there's really not any 
season or month that we can't grow. I think the spring's most challenging for us because we have tornadoes really bad here. And we have like last year, (laughs) I planted out my first round of flowers to sell. And we had a tornado and a hailstorm that literally just wiped out everything, you know? And so we're a little bit more of like when we're putting things out in the spring. But other than that, we're super fortunate. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And we garden year round. Also, I'm zone 10B, but for different reasons. I mean, we just have the climate for it. Um, But I still find the most success starting seeds in like a more of sort of an insulated, like we have a tiny, I have like this tiny greenhouse. That's like the magic to all my seed starting. Um, But I think people are so self-limiting about that when it comes like row covers are so cheap and easy. There's a thousand different ways to do it. But I think every single gardener can benefit from having a structure put in place for that because of netting or frost cover or row covers or just however you like everyone needs that. I don't know. I just minor like indispensable at this point. Pests, like weather, whatever it is. Absolutely. And even if you don't have a greenhouse and you want to start seeds, I mean, you can buy a rack and, you know, some LED lights from a hardware store and get set up and be growing and starting seeds in your house. Like it's really just don't be limited by anything. Figure out a way to make it happen. And that's kind of where I started. You know, I mean, I was starting seeds in my house in my living room, I was selling microgreens every single week, generating a pretty hefty profit without ever going outside, you know? And so there are ways that you can do this. You just kind of have to have that grit to be like, you know what, I'm growing food and at whatever cost that is, and you make it work. And that's kind of just, I, I became a farmer by bootstrapping it because we were so when we started that I just had to do whatever, you know, I mean, I was on like online marketplace buying everything used. I'd go to farmers and ask them if they weren't using their trays from like years and years before. And they're like, you're doing me a favor, taking off my hands. So I'm going to last you a season. I'm like, I just, I just need it to last me one season. And so I did that. I love that so much though. Yeah. And I mean, it, it worked. And that's what I learned is like, if you have the desire to grow food, nothing was going to stop me from doing that. And it might look different now. Like now I do have some of those amenities, like a greenhouse that I'm super fortunate for, but I want to encourage people who maybe you are in that season of having to bootstrap it, but you have a desire bootstrap it. Like you won't always have to do that. Right. Like you'll It will become profitable if you treat it like a job, even if that's just profitable for your family, you know? And so just being encouraged by that, like, you know, I always told myself, I'm not going to have to do this forever, right? Like surely at some point this is going to pay off and I'm not going to have to be, you know, having racks lined up in my living room. And sure enough, like one day I didn't have to do that anymore and it felt really good. That's so amazing. And it is super inspiring. And I agree with you. There's this, I think there's a couple of the, first of all, the like someday mentality is not a thing for me. And I'm just like, no, like, I, I mean, I just think that's amazing. But I also, I I personally also think like Americans culturally are too comfortable. Everything is too convenient. And there's so much resistance to like the bootstrapping mentality. But I feel as well, like so much confidence and character is built in that place. I mean, and in it, sometimes you're just like, I hate this, but (laughs) I love that. I love your story. It's so amazing. Okay. Before I let you go, I want to ask a couple questions. So first is what is your favorite thing to grow? 
Oh, man. I think I'm in a season right now where I'm being really pushed by flowers, right? Like I, up until the last two years, I've never really grown flowers at scale. And so I'm having to, I love doing things that require something of me, right? Like I can grow tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers with my eyes closed. Okay. I've done it for years and years. I don't even have to think about it. But with flowers, it's like certain flowers need certain trellising techniques. When you cut them, they need certain things for base life. And if we're taking to market, I have to kind of know what that market target audience is. And it's requiring me to like go back to the beginning. I mean, I've got books upon books laid out in my bed every night. I've got post-it notes, my Excel spreadsheet, like I'm doing the nitty gritty of it. And I love that because it's challenging me and I like being challenged. And it's also beautiful. It's meeting people where they are in the sense of not everyone wants to grow food and we are really lacking locally grown organic flowers. Like the flower industry is very, very messed up. It is extremely sad. Most of our flowers get imported. And so knowing that we are actively doing something to make a positive change for that, for our local community and encouraging other people too, you're really just kind of growing in harmony with nature there. And so the flowers, specifically the dahlias, we are working on crafting a Whispering Willow dahlia collection. This will be our second year trialing and growing dahlias for that. And so that may be a five-year oh, goal. that's exciting. Yeah. So I'm hoping that maybe by year four or five, we will have crafted collections uh, specifically for Southern growers who have that hot, humid, like dahlias are grown, you know, in Maine and Washington. It's like, how do we really kind of trial this and figure it out for the Southern grower who has hot, humid climates, um, but still wants to grow beautiful blooms. And so the flowers have kind of stolen my heart the last few years. <laughs> I feel that too. I started out feeling like flowers were kind of low ROI, honestly, because I was like, I just want to grow food, like the return on investment. And this is higher for me. I have like a deep obsession with edible flowers. Um, but now I'm kind of getting more into the cut flowers too, just because of what they bring to life and to others. And it is a different challenge. And I don't know, it's just, it's an extension of it all, but. Yeah. um, And from a profitability point, we make more money selling cut flowers than we do produce by almost triple. Mm. And so if you're looking at, yeah, it's insane. I can sell one Dahlia stem for what I sold a pound of cherry tomatoes wholesale to a chef. And that, that was like crazy town. And so that was just kind of like, what am I doing? Like if I need my farm to generate income, we got to switch. And then we had a market. We had, you know, local people in the community ask us to grow for them. And so for us, we will prioritize community over profit all day long. And so even if it wasn't profitable, we would do it because there's a need in our community and we're able to fill that gap. But it is super profitable for us. And then any excess food we have that we don't put up, we have the privilege of being able to donate some of that every year to a food bank that we work with. And we just feel, you know, we feel good about that. We're helping our family and also helping others. I love that. Okay. So my final question then, I'm a book nerd like you are. Um, What are your favorite books when it comes to gardening Uh, It can be like resources, learning, fiction, whatever. Like what are just like, okay, these three books you have to read? Yeah. So Elliot Coleman, The Organic Grower is what I think it's called. The New Organic Grower. I've got it right here on my desk. That book 
it really champions the small scale grower. Like Elliot Coleman was such a massive influence in my life because he really kind of spoke to the value of the small scale farmer and really walks through, you know, some of those systems. Um, And then Ben Hartman has, I think it's a three part series called the lean farm. And this book is incredible. Even if you don't want to sell food, which he is a market farmer and he grows a lot of food at scale, but he practices a model called MUDA or MUDA, I don't know, it's M-U-D-A. And it's a Japanese practice of eliminating waste. And he kind of Mm. dissects this mantra from um, that culture. And he literally, it's how he modeled his farm. And so he's like, anything that does not add value we have to remove it. And so he goes really in depth about how to put efficient systems on your farm, what that looks like for us. When we were really starting out our market farm, he was a incredible, incredible reference for us. Um, And so if you're wanting to kind of scale and put those really, really efficient systems, and then for the beginner gardener, my friend Jessica wrote the first time gardener growing vegetables. And if you just want to garden and you don't Mm. know where start that book is just going to it's going to help you get started it's also just really inspiring and encouraging to that home gardener I love that um yeah I think it's so funny I've amassed like a really embarrassing collection of gardening books because I just can't consume enough about it I love the way people talk about it I like learning new techniques like you just mentioned this muda approach Um, I've never heard of that. And I was just watching, I got really sucked into someone's YouTube channel and she was kind of talking about using the way she sort of hybridizes three methods of gardening. Um, it's sort of like square foot gardening mixed with no-till gardening mixed with back to Eden and like all these different approaches that are all kind of similar, kind of different in the way she does it and how she uses biochar and this. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just, it's so expansive. There are so many different ways to do it. And also there are so many ancient cultures when you go back that have been practicing different and specific methods based on their values. That is so fascinating. And I think it's just, you begin, I can never emphasize enough how much not only your hardiness zone plays into it, but like your microclimate and your garden and the rhythm of your life plays into the success of your garden, whatever the goal may be. Um, And so I think it's super fun to develop your own style as you collect information. I don't know. I love it. So this is super helpful. Yeah, I'm glad. And and I feel the same way. It's like, you know, I may not model all the things that all these people say, but I find that in most gardening books across the spectrum, it's like you can find a little nugget in there that you can take with you and implement on your farm. And for me, that's worth it. I like to diversify my knowledge, even though I'm not in that market gardening scene like I was, that is the majority of the books that I am consuming because I still want to be relevant and I still want to learn the most efficient practices and ways. And I want to understand those varieties that are going to yield the most. And so that's kind of what, what I consume most of is like figuring out how to do it at scale and how to do it efficiently, even if my goal is not, you know, to sell it. And so that might be something that I encourage your audience with too. You might just be looking for these hobby home gardening books, but maybe just read some of those books geared towards the market grower. You know, Jean Martin has a wonderful series. I own every book he has. And even if you don't want to sell it, you're going to learn really efficient systems 
um, you know, in those market style gardening books. I love that. I agree with you as well. Whenever I've bought some of the generic, like how to garden books, it never gives me quite as much inspiration as someone who's really kind of gone all in on their approach because right. that I feel like really, I don't know. It, it's just, a, it's a different, it's a different read. I think that's really good advice. Um, okay. So where can everybody find you? When is this book out? Is it fully out? Can we buy it right now? Is it on presale? So it is pre-ordered. It will be out on January 24th, which seems wild. Wow. I know you can find it on Amazon and you can follow us with Spring Willow Farm on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and then our store is the whisperingwillowfarm.com. I love that. I need to go get some stuff from the store. You always have really good. We didn't even talk about that, but all of the like wares, like the ceramics and the, I, I have to admit, I love like having coffee with you every morning. I feel like it's a thing with when your I don't mugs. Morning coffee, I get so many messages like, Are you okay today? What's going on? So it's just kind of what I, I know. I'm like, Have you fed Otis? Have you fed <laughs> Otis? Who cares about the children? Is your sourdough starter being taken care of? Yes, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you again so much for chatting with me and just hanging. I'm so inspired by you and what you've accomplished. And I'm super excited to just to be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.